Welcome to the game. It's a beautiful thing. With Mark Duffy. The son of a darkened shearer and a self-described ball-playing jack of all trades. We shouldn't be surprised, should we? Who lit up footy fields in the southwest before becoming WA's preeminent AFL scribe. My goodness! And Glenn, Glenn Quarterman. Wow-wee! A proud Victorian parked permanently in the west who would have played 300 AFL games if not for his incredibly small hands. Goodness gracious me! Together they are Duff, Duff and Quarters. You know who? And this is your favourite footy, footy podcast. podcast. It's unbelievable! Yes, hello everybody. It is Tuesday. It is the middle of AFL Trade Week. This is the Duff and Quarters podcast. As always, we are brought to you by Tab Touch. Those with the touch, you can better your bet. Download Tab Touch today. Please gamble responsibly and please call Gambler's Helpline on 1800 858 858 if you encounter any difficulties. Quarters, Duff. Welcome. How are you, mate? Good. I've got an early carton to give away this week. Have you? Yeah. Green Coast Lager. I'm yeah. giving it to you, my friend. Oh. For good reason. Yes. There's a bit of sadness about this. Yes, so this will be the farewell appearance on the Duff and Quarters podcast, and this will be my last day at the West Australian, um, taking a voluntary redundancy. And um, I spent 37 of the last 40 years working for this uh, company, um, either the West or Associated um, newspapers and uh, yes it is a sad day but um, as they say uh, one door closes another one opens so we look forward to what the future holds. Episode number 352 of Duff and Corners today uh, I consider myself incredibly lucky to have been uh, sitting here with you on 352 episodes. Well, we, haven't, we haven't done them all together we've missed a few. Oh, about half a dozen I reckon that's about it. All. But I, I just, I just like to say from the outset, it's been an absolute honour. Um, regard you as one of the great writers. I've had the um, good fortune to work with. You're considered. You're informed. You're prescient. You've got great integrity. Uh, you've got the respect of the sporting world and the general world, really, uh, particularly here in Perth. Um, and above all, you've just been a good mate. And I'd like to thank you for it all. Yeah, no, it's been a pleasure to do with a great friend quarters, and um, it's, we've had a. We've got a great following, and I think they're really um, a really loyal following. And they're a lot of them are, are very informed um, footy people, which is fantastic. A lot of them are very entertaining, which is also fantastic. And um, hopefully, we catch up with some more of them in real life around the traps. And um, who knows what the future holds, mate? Well, uh, you never know. Sometimes what goes around comes around. So um, anyway, let's get on with the news. Um, trade period. Do you want me to capture just quickly what we've, what's been done so far? So yeah. Carl Amon Hawthorne, unrestricted free agent for a second rounder, which is a twenty pick twenty seven. Uh, Bobby Hill, Collingwood, a third rounder, and sorry, and a third rounder forty one. GWS get a third rounder forty three and a future second. Tim Taranto to Richmond. GWS get a first rounder twelve and a second rounder nineteen. And Jaden Hunt, free agent, goes from Melbourne to West Coast and they get compensation of a third rounder, which is pick 52. We believe the Blake Acres deal is imminent. So that'll be for a third rounder. My understanding is that was expected to be done yesterday, but Carlton were just holding fire, waiting to see if there was any compensation for Liam Jones re-entering the competition 
at the Western Bulldogs. Um, basically, he goes as a unrestricted free agent, and I think Carlton were were waiting to see what they might have to give Fremantle and whether that would change at all because of the if there was a compensation pick for Liam Jones. So, yes, that will be done. Um, it may even be done by the time we finish this podcast. So. Since we last spoke, there have been a few developments. Jason Horn Francis. So what this means, and I wrote about this in the paper today, what this means is that Hawthorne's mess is no longer Hawthorne's mess. It's been inherited by North Melbourne in particular and possibly further down the track by Brisbane. Um, the Hawks, we're, we're already seeing the Hawks sort of like create the timeline for this. Um, it's basically being treated as historical. Um, Jeff Kennett's refusing to declare a crisis. But North Melbourne are in crisis. They have no coach. They have a very good young player who wants to go. He has a contract, but he'll probably try and go next year again if there's more uncertainty coming out of the the situation surrounding Alistair Clarkson. Um, So what was Hawthorne's mess is now very much North Melbourne's mess. Mm. Uh, If they get adequate compensation coming back, I'm okay with it. But I'm not... I'm going to double down here on my view that I think all first-rounders should be on four-year deals. Now, I know it wouldn't change things necessarily here, but it certainly may help North Melbourne um, get better compensation even. So they've got to get the deal they want. Uh, They really do. But I still think it's a huge investment in a player, a first-round pick, and I can see it going that way in the future, longer contracts. So what we're going to see here is we're probably going to get a read on this as to how confident North Melbourne is that Clarkson gets through this and out the other side because I tend to think that if Clarkson – if they're confident that Clarkson will be their coach next year, if I was them, I'd be inclined to hold their ground. Because when you think about it, is North Melbourne likely to finish above Port Adelaide next year? No, absolutely not. So therefore, they're still going to have to trade. Even if Shahorn Francis doesn't have a, a contract, they're still going to have to trade. That's where he wants to go. Um, so I'd be inclined to back themselves here. You know what? When you look at Horn Francis's numbers... Horn Francis was 16.5 disposals a game. I think there were three or four clearances a game. Good tackle numbers, good contested possession numbers for a first-year player. He's a bull, which means that it will take him time to emerge as that in the AFL system. And he was judged harshly because you had guys like Nick Dacos absolutely playing the house Different down. players, though. Completely. Yeah, they are. Yeah, Nick Dacos, largely uncontested. Those brain. numbers for Horn Francis are good. For his first year, in my opinion, yep. he just needs to develop. It's a much more difficult position to play as a, as a bull. So, yeah, I, I'm very happy with those numbers if I'm Horn Francis. So I'd be, I'd be very, very tempted, unless Port Adelaide comes with the absolute godfather offer, I'd be very, very tempted to just hold my ground and say, no, we'll, we'll keep Jason for another year. We believe... Um, Clarko will be in place at some point next year and we believe that he'll be able to turn this around. Of course, the other player in the whole North Melbourne scenario is Griffin Logue. Mm. Um, That trade has not yet been done. Um, Fremantle are continuing to talk to Griffin Logue. My understanding is there's no real indication that Griffin Logue won't still seek a trade. So I think if you're a betting man, still bet on Griffin Logue being at North Melbourne. Darcy Tucker is the other player. So I think Darcy Tucker gets done. I think Fremantle's view of Darcy Tucker is that um, he's he's given them good service. He's played more than 100 games. He hasn't quite been able to lock down a regular position in their best 22. Um, So therefore... He's been a good citizen. He's never been an issue for them around the club. 
Uh, if someone believes they can give Darcy Tucker AFL opportunity and Darcy Tucker's happy to go there, I think Fremantle will be happy to do the trade and it will probably be that future third that North Melbourne gets as part of that concession package they've been given by the AFL. Junior Rioli and the pick 27 um, that Port has as compensation for Amon, is, will that become part of the West Coast deal, do you think? Or is, does the deal get done anyway? I would have thought it becomes part of it. The, I'm So I think both parties are saying this deal gets done as long as the other party's fair and reasonable. I think they have a very different definition of what's fair and reasonable. Of course here. they do. And so it's going to be fascinating to see how they meet in the middle over all of that. Um, if I was West Coast and I could get a pick in the early 20s somewhere for Junior Rioli, I'm doing it. Um, I think that the worst case scenario for West Coast is if they don't do the deal and Junior Rioli turns up in less than optimum condition um, you know when they start their pre-season they'll just be kicking themselves for not taking the opportunity to, to do the deal uh, he will always be a West Coast Premiership player so he's always going to have a, a part of that club's history um, and I think sometimes you've got to accept that that's the part he has played in the history and, and let it go and move on Right now is Rory Lobb moving? So right now Fremantle is adamant he's not um, I think Pending the outcome of certain trades. And not the, so the, Griffin Lowe. So if Griffin Lowe goes, um, if Luke Jackson comes, and then what happens with Lloyd Meek, you know what? If two of Logue and Meek go, I reckon Lobb gets held to his contract. Where's Meek going? Is he going to West Coast or is he going to Hawthorne? West Coast has great interest. There's no... As they should. There's no indication yet that Fremantle would do the trade with them, but I do suspect that Fremantle would do the trade with them for the right price. Hawthorne, I think Fremantle thinks, would come with a second-round draft pick. Um, if I'm West Coast, I'm matching that for Lloyd Mead. Absolutely. I'm, I'm not sure where he sits with Hawthorne, though. I mean, they have Ned Reeves, who's a very promising ruckman, a very tall ruckman. Um they have backup, so I'm just not sure where he sits in the pecking order at Hawthorne, whereas at West Coast you can see a clear line for yep. him. Ned but Reeves, there's enormous potential with Ned Reeves. He's also very raw. So They've got Max Lynch as well, Hawthorne. Yeah, so. Max, but Max Lynch has had injury concussion and issue. concussion issues, so that, there's got to be a question mark there. I can kind of see where he sits at Hawthorne. I'm just wondering whether you need to get a Lloyd Meek in who's going to be ready to play now or whether you need to get a backup Ruckman in to give Ned Reeves a help out when he gets tired or sore or all the things that a, that an AFL season can do to a young Ruckman, basically. So, yeah, it's um, it may be that... Of course, with Ben McAvoy leaving, um, there is an opening there. But let's not forget Ben McAvoy didn't play much Yeah, no, he didn't year. play... No, not really, no. He did that um, the neck injury. So, so Reeves was, you know... Reeves got through a, a good body of work for a young ruckman for the Hawks last year. Uh, yeah, this year. Quentin Arkell? So there is interest from West Coast. There is interest from GWS. Um, there is some interest from Fremantle. Um, the view of the people close to Quentin are that they would like him to go somewhere. He's a bit of a Darcy Tucker. They would like him to go somewhere where he's likely to get opportunity. There's a feeling that he would get opportunity at West Coast. Um, the, there is interest, but you wouldn't say it's overwhelmingly strong interest. Um, GWS, I think there is interest, and I think GWS, um, there's a feeling that 
maybe Narkel would go there as a player who would be there for seven years, who they wouldn't have to worry about recontracting, who would get opportunity and would be a viable member of their midfield. Taranda Hopper gone, they're going to need his type. Yeah, and, and they're getting a bit tired of having these midfields loaded up with these top-end draft picks that cost an exorbitant amount to recontract, which leave them with uh, salary cap issues. Someone like um, Quinton Narkel, they get at a good price. He'll be happy to stay and play. Um, so I think, you know, don't rule out GWS out of this equation, I would say. Uh, so Horn France is pending his um, arrival at Port Adelaide, if that if that happens. So I think Jack Graham now has sorted his business out with Richmond, so he's staying there? Yes, yes. He signed, I think. He signed a So that's, a a, that's, a, that's good for them. Um, Dugowie... Collingwood, do, that deal's done? Or? Yes, it is. Yeah. So that was an interesting one, wasn't it? Like Jordan Degoe, for all the support Collingwood had shown him, was still looking around. Um, and the two-year behavioural clause, I think, is more than reasonable, given his track record over the past. I just confiscate his passport. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, really. Yeah. Although, as we've seen at Hawthorne, trying to get overly involved in players' personal lives is not a great idea either. At some point, you just have to accept that the player will either make or break. Well, Clarko went to Vegas in, in pursuit of Buddy. He did, yeah. Buddy had an end-of-year trip in Vegas and Clarko appeared. That would have been an interesting reunion. Yes, yes. Uh, Clarko has tended to go the extra yard and <laughs> somewhere between the yard where he was and the extra yard, there was a line that got crossed that probably shouldn't have been crossed oh, a few yeah. times, I reckon. Uh, incredible stuff. So. Do you think Alistair Clarkson will coach North Melbourne in 2023? Uh, I can't answer that. What I can say is that there's been, obviously we saw a push from Jeff Kennett. Uh, he wants this over by Christmas. They've been pushed from within the AFL six to eight weeks. No. Why put a time frame on this? I don't see any problem if North Melbourne and Brisbane have caretaker coaches going into next season. Mm. It's, that's just the that's just the byproduct of it. Yep. I think it's important for this um, investigation, and this I believe the terms of reference have been drawn up. We're just waiting for this four person panel to be appointed, which I think is imminent. But we've been hearing that for two weeks. I've been had to be very careful. Um, of the AFL and who they put on this panel. Yeah, uh, we believe it is there are two non-indigenous and two indigenous personnel on that panel, uh, two men and two women. So, uh, pending the announcement of that, it's important we get started on this. But there's there's a lot of areas of concern there, and I don't. But doesn't worry me if this takes a year, Duff. I just think they have to be thorough. And clearly, there has to be natural justice for all parties in this. So, so this is the question. Uh, we all. I'm uh, doubtful is the answer. I'm doubtful that they start with those coaches next year. So this is the problem, the, the fact that this got out. And now, I'm not blaming the media who reported it. No. Um, the media's job is to tell the story. So once you get the story, it's your job to tell the story. It's the Once the club had commissioned this report, it was the club's job to make sure that the report was handled in a way that was fair to all the parties whose names were going to come up mm. in the report. And unfortunately... It got out. It got out. And that means... like My question would be, how do Alistair Clarkson, Chris Fagan and Jason Burt get afforded due process and natural justice now? How do Mark they? Evans. Mark Evans, yep. Um, 
uh, it's and, hard. It's hard. Andrew um, Newbold. Yeah, who's taken a leave of absence as an AFL commissioner, um, which is huge. Yeah. So uh, it's it's a it's a good um, it's a very good. Uh, excuse me. That's a carton for me. My phone just my mobile phone just went off. Rookie error. Um, uh, but yeah. Look, I, I just think um, it's 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 hard to see. So it, there's so many areas of concern for the AFL. This four person panel's got a hell of a job ahead of them. Um, and it's a, I wouldn't want that job to be quite frank. And if you're, it's all very well to sort of say, um, people say, oh, well, you know, this allegation is there. So therefore that's the end of Alistair Clarkson. But if you're Alistair Clarkson and you've just signed a five year deal, which is worth $5 million, you're not going quietly into the night. No. Um, you're exploring all legal options and you're defending yourself very stridently. And I'd argue that Chris Fagan's probably in the same boat. Um, given well, they have announced they will defend themselves rigorously, and they will. They're prepared. So, I think you're right. So, I, I, I don't, I don't think there should be a time frame put on it. I, why would you do that? No, I don't think there will be. But I think my understanding is that I think the AFL is not sure that the actual nuts and bolts of this investigation will get going before Christmas, and they're not sure there'll be any finding before round one. Next year. Well, that's my point. If there's caretaker coaches in the Hawthorne, uh, sorry, in the North Melbourne and Brisbane roles, that's so be it. Yeah. So, well, you'd think that uh, Lee Adams yeah. just continues to hold the reins at North Melbourne, and you would think that Brisbane is probably they're an established team. They have an established playing style. Um, they they have a lot of senior players there, and they have a coaching panel that have that have coached under Chris Fagan for some time now so therefore you would feel like they're in a better and steadier position than North Melbourne are at the moment. What's the fallout for Hawthorne do you think if any? If these uh, allegations are proven true there could be a class action or individual actions from these players against Hawthorne which could extrapolate into the AFL yep. possibly. The fallout for Hawthorne I think the brand's damage for starters. Uh, I think I think I'm going to say every AFL club's in a pretty good space in this area now and have been for some time. These are historical allegations. Where I, I, I think there's irreparable damage to the brand um, and the, the jobs in front of Hawthorne to prove that they're worthy in this space. And yes, they're, but I believe that they're set up well in this area now, but they've got a hell of a long way to go. So um, it was your, it was on your watch, Hawthorne. So um, as I've said, as I've written about in the past, mate, it hurts me as a Hawthorne supporter, as a long-time Hawthorne supporter, uh, if these allegations are true. Um, so that's, I think, it, very worrying times at the Hawks. Yeah, I, I, I'm on record as saying this, and I think, I'll, I'll just say it again, I think we need to be careful when we're dealing with issues of race in particular. Now, this has expanded beyond race now because of the, the suggestion that Clarko went too far with Sam Mitchell and his mm. wife as well. So, therefore, his behaviour with players, the controlling behaviour, the paternalistic behaviour, allegedly, um, that he's alleged to have overstepped the mark where... Well, that's in Sam, well. Sam Mitchell's um, biography. Yep. Um, so... Um, but with issues of race, I, I hate people using the term racist because I think it's divisive. What I want to see with issues of race is that we deal with it. We understand and accept that most people have a degree of racial prejudice and that we try and bring everyone along together. We try and educate ourselves and each other and certainly people who appear to be a little bit behind on this subject. 
and we become more inclusive and we try and progress as opposed to isolating and alienating people who have been perceived to have transgressed in the past because I think once you put them in that bracket you cannot get them back you cannot improve them you cannot educate them and you end up with a um, a group of people that society has scrap heaped and as uh, Peter Garrett once famously said if society scrap heaps people those people will come back and scrap heap society so. I think there's an appetite from the AFL for um, a review of all clubs, but I don't think there's an appetite for clubs to just go off and do their own reviews. I think I think everyone has to be on the same page and get the same terms of reference set. Um, no suggestion that any of these clubs... But there's got to be trigger points now. There's going, going to be players out there, disaffected former players with their own allegations. Uh, so I think there, we get through the Hawthorne review as long as that takes, and I think beyond that, I think then we need a all-in, but I think it needs to be AFL-controlled. Yeah. And, and I think when I say AFL-controlled, I mean the terms of reference need to be common yeah. for every club. You can't have clubs going off doing their own thing. No, and I think that's what has um, burnt them with the Hawthorne thing, hasn't it? Yep. It's, um... uh, well, it has. And it, the problem with the Hawthorne, I think, re- the, the review that was external, so Hawthorne has said, let's go out and investigate these claims that were al- alleged by um, Shannon Rioli, wife of Cyril, and it was pretty damning stuff that came back to Phil Egan, who's the author of that report. Now, so perhaps he should have gone back to Hawthorne and sort of said, this is beyond what the expectations were. We need to go straight to the AFL Integrity Unit. Perhaps then the, the other parties might have been involved. I'm not sure if that was possible, but maybe that was a way to go with this investigation. Yep. So, Quarters, let's talk waffle. Great, great day. Great day at Leederville Oval on the weekend. Nearly 17,000 people there. Uh, West Perth out last Claremont uh, for a, a narrow victory. Mitch Dobson soccers a goal in the dying minutes of the game to uh, to basically seal the deal for the Falcons. Um, and Darren Harris, the subplot to this whole game, um, decided to have a fifth quarter. He did. He had a good <laughs> fifth quarter too. Uh, the Dobson goal. So I, it was chockers. I, I got there. I took my family, so Lisa and the boys, and um, we were sitting literally a metre behind the goals on the grass at the northern end, and that was where the Dobson goal was kicked. And I reckon it took about five or six different right-hand and left-hand turns and then wobbled through. But from the foot, I always thought it was going through. Yeah, you just knew, didn't yeah. you? When you the, from the time it got through the traffic and out the other side, you go, that's a goal. Yeah. That's a goal. And, and, and look, I love the day. Yes, it would have been great if more people could have seen it at Optus Stadium, but I loved the uh, atmosphere. Uh, I didn't care that you had to line up. I loved the precinct in Leaderville that was shut down. I, would lo- I wouldn't mind seeing this uh, move around from club to club. I know people will hate me for that. They'll say, well, every, people can't get to see it, but... I, I just really enjoyed the day and thought it was really worthwhile. As for Darren Harris, so we saw a couple of, you know, hand signals, I guess, on the after the siren. Um, of course, this date goes back to his history. So he gave it the Teddy Whitten, didn't he? Gave it the Teddy Whitten, stick yeah. it up him. But so obviously dismissed 10 days after guiding Claremont to a um, grand final, getting him within a kick of a premiership. Um, his services terminated, finds himself at West Perth. They have the win. What I'll say is the karma bus is real. But I reckon with Darren, um, well, good, well done to him, by the way. But, you know, was that really necessary? So he's doubled down a video that's circulating on social media. It's, it's clearly him. He's clearly said some stuff about his old employer. I'm just not sure he needed to do that because I reckon 
I reckon it was the victory was pretty sweet. I reckon the actual victory itself said a lot. So the stuff on the ground, I'm okay with. Yeah, so am I. The Teddy Witten stuff, you know. That's, it was good theatre. It's in the heat of the moment. He was, at the end of the day, as much as Claremont might like it, he was terminated after losing a grand final by two points. Um, and at the other team's home ground at Fremantle Oval. It was a pretty fair performance by the coach mm. and his team. Um, terminated soon afterwards. Um, clearly, there will be some um, uh, some feeling about that, and clearly he harbours feelings about that. I think when it went back to um, West Perth's flow-on celebrations, and he had some fairly uncomplimentary things to say about Claremont. Uh, sorry, Darren. You have the chance to have the high moral ground and you've basically just surrendered all of it. Mm. Uh, that's just – it's unnecessary. Um, people say it's the emotion of the game. It's actually immature. And what it is is you've got to remember this is a guy who will ask a 19-year-old player who might weigh 80 kilos to stand in front of a hard-charging um, forward. power forward like Jack Buller, who's 198 centimetres. Jeez, he played well, Jack Buller, too. And Loved his game. 100 kilos. And if he doesn't, he will question his character. So when your players are held to that account and then their coach carries on like that, the players might enjoy it in the heat of the moment, caught up in the emotion of it all. But afterwards, at a time when it's less successful and there's more reason to question the coach, they'll look back on that and they'll go, well, he is the peanut that did that. Hmm. And and unfortunately, Darren, that's what it is. It's the act. You're right. He surrendered that moral ground, and yeah. just unnecessary. He didn't need to do it. Yeah. And it was it was a fair while after the final siren too, so he had time to think about it. Perhaps with some Dutch courage. But oh, def- would have definitely had fuel on board. Yeah, by that stage. So, um, but you know, you we mentioned Jack Buller. I tell you what, if I'm an AFL club, I'm having a look at Jack Buller. Oh yeah, great. Uh, beautiful contested mark in the second quarter. Really good um, third quarter. Uh, I just thought uh, kept them in the game. A lot to like about him. He looked really dangerous against Joel Hamling in the, the Claremont Peel final as well, which tells you that um, he can play a bit, this kid. You know, when you're playing on a guy who's got a good AFL pedigree and you're troubling him as as much as you're uh, troubling the, the waffle defenders. 198 centimetres, he's 21 years old. I know he was on Gold Coast radar two years ago and they probably looked at him, I reckon, last year as well before going to get Levi Casbolt, the bigger, more mature body that would crash the packs and uh, in those contested marking situations. If I was one of the local clubs... I would definitely be offering Jack Buller a summer train on. Yeah, and he's he's stood up on the biggest theatre available to him. Yeah, the biggest stage available to him, pending prior to the draft. So, yeah, and you know what the best part about Jack Buller is quarters? He's got darkened pedigree. Oh, has he? So the Buller family are a darkened family. His father is Kim Buller. I played footy with Pat Buller, um, his uncle. Pat Buller also played senior football for South Fremantle. Um, the Bullers were all good um, sports people. All. Great citizens, a little bit off-centre. They're all a bit, um, uh, you wouldn't say loose, but they're all a bit, you know, just a, they were interesting people. Um, but good people and um, and tougher than you think, the Bullers. So uh, I would definitely be looking at Jack Buller as a summer 352 trainer. episodes and every one of them with a darkened mention. Yes, yes. Well, it's in the 
it's in the lead. Bit of bit of late, <laughs> bit of late breaking news stuff that we should go to. Um, so Acres goes for a future third, as discussed. Now, interestingly, Logue, the, the the deal's done. He's he's a now a North Melbourne player. So Logue and Tucker get packaged up to go to North Melbourne with a future third pick. In return, Fremantle gets a future second, future third, future fourth. So the future second will be very valuable next year, but I'm not sure if I'm that comfortable with that deal. So I'll explain this to you, all right? I reckon that what they were staring down the barrel of was... Getting Logue marched through the... No, no, th- yeah, that's fine. That was always the underlying threat, particularly with Colin Young as the manager. But um, I think Fremantle were able to talk directly to North Melbourne and get pretty comfortable with once the concession package by the AFL was offered, they, they were thinking, okay, we'll get um, stuff out of this. Um, they were looking at future second, future third for the two of them. That was the concession package. that, um, And North Melbourne didn't have many other draft picks. This is the other thing. Um, but if you look at where the teams finished this year and where they're likely to finish next year, um, the future second... Will should, be pretty good. Should be a good pick for, for Logue. It's a bit 20s. unders for Griffin Logue, given he was top 10 in their best and fairest. Um, although there were others I thought should have been further up the Well, he's a top 10 Logue. pick. Yeah. That's why I think is a little bit unders. Um, where, um, Fremantle's future third will be further out than North Melbourne's future third. I would have thought so. So therefore, getting the future third from North Melbourne... And giving them their own future third, that's probably a win well, you're ahead in for that. Fremantle. Yeah. And then they get the future fourth as well. So I'm, I know what you're saying, but I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that if I'm Fremantle. And given the threat of the pre-season draft, you, you get that deal done and then you are in a position to concentrate on what we think is the really big fish. Which, which now is, makes it very interesting for Rory Lobb. It does, yeah. It's going to be hard for him to move now. Well, particularly now that... Um, Colin Young can't hold the the cannon of Griffin Logue to North Melbourne over Fremantle's head. Um, I think Rory Lobb is very much at the whim and mercy of Fremantle now. And if Fremantle can go to Rory and say, mate, we're going to need you for another year, um, I think Rory's going to have to stay. So we'll, wa- we'll wait and see how that one plays out in the next few days. Now let's go to a few of these. Saddle up your camel. It's time for the Thirsty Camel Mailbag. Before you, yep. before you start on the Thirsty Camel Mailbag quarters, one more. Anthony McDonald, Tip and Woody. Of course. Floating around today that he might want to uh, resume his AFL career and that Fremantle may be ahead of Essendon in getting him to resume his AFL career. Now, I know your view on this. You're pretty lukewarm on it. I am. Um, so explain well, your reason. Well, he's 29 years of age. Yep. He's been out of the system for a year. Do they need another hard tackling forward? I'm not sure they do. They've got Switkowski. They've got Lockie Schultz, um, Frederick. I'm just not sure. He maybe has insurance if one of them goes down, but I'm just not sure if it's the best thing for Anthony McDonald, Tip and Woody. Though I believe he has family here in Perth, so that, that was good for him. But I'm just not sure in a football sense if it's a good move for him. Whereas I think Essendon, who is another suitor, clearly his old team, probably has more need for him. It's an interesting one. He um, does kick goals, though, doesn't he? I, yeah, I take your point. He's a great pressure forward. Maybe they have a different use for Michael Frederick. Maybe with Blake Akers gone, Michael Frederick will play further up the ground. Um, the other thing, he he's a free hit, isn't he? Yeah. So basically he's retired, so you just pick him up when you can pick him up. Um, you'd either pick him up in the, um, 
in the national draft or as a um, he, he would be an unrestricted free agent, I'd yep. imagine. Um, so they could do that. It probably wouldn't cost a lot contractually if you could convince him that he should come. Um, as long as it's a low cost, I'm okay with it. Spot on the list, though, and he's 29. Yeah, but don't forget how so many... to go against the profile of what they're trying to achieve here? Don't forget how many players they're trading out, and don't forget there'll be limited draft collateral. And I guess if there's one area it has been their ability to kick goals, he does that. Yeah. So maybe you get um, big blokes who compete in the air and really good little blokes at their feet who can kick goals. And don't get me wrong, I'm lukewarm on it as a night football idea, but I love Tipper. Yeah. I think he would be an excitement machine over here. I'd love watching him over here in Frio Colours. Yeah. I'm just not sure if it's the right move for him. Okay, let's talk about the mailbag. Uh, well, let's open with a fa- – it, it stands to reason. Let's let's open, given it's our last show, uh, the favourite, Greg and Katie Keeley from Kentucky. They've sent me a photo. Is Duff still kicking? Duff's still alive. As we know, Quarters has gone to the – to, over the Rainbow Bridge. <laughs> Poor old quarters, picked up by a hawk, of, of, of all things. Hey, mate, um, uh, for the mailbag, short and sweet, uh, two ideas. One, simple swat, Lloyd Meek for Jay Darling, West Coast. Freo get the big-bodied four they need, desperately need, and West Coast get a Nick Nat replacement. Two, Rory Lobb for seven baby goats, and he sent me a photo of seven baby goats on the Kentucky. <laughs> I don't think Freo are parting with Rory Lobb for seven baby goats, but we take your point. Um, Meek for Darling? No. It's, a, it's an interesting idea. It's an interesting idea. Um if Fremantle had Darcy and Jackson, they would probably need at least one more backup Ruckman. So is that Rory Lobb? Um, if they got Darling, would they need to keep Lobb? Probably not. Mm. So it's, an, it's a very interesting idea. Not, not their worst, Greg and Katie. No, they've all been good. Hey, D and Q, uh, now that the season is over, we can look back at um, at the plum rum the Vic teams got this year, last year, and every other year where the fixtures. This is getting ridiculous now, and I believe the non-Vic sides, especially West Coast and Frio, should argue harder with the fixturing mob in the ivory tower until our demands are met. Our demands are this, pure and simple, more home games. I've been crunching the numbers in every single Melbourne team, with the exception of North and Hawthorne, Tasmania, in agreement, get a minimum 14 games in Melbourne, and with the average about 16, which is incredible, 72% of the home and away season. Essendon were the most breastfed team with 17 out of 22 games this year based in Vic. WA teams have to travel more and worse still are given the god-awful breakfast time slots which scientifically affects performance due to their circadian rhythm irregularities. This is true. That is actually a thing. I live in remote WA so there is no point being a Freo member but even if I lived in Perth I wouldn't see the point in buying season tickets to watch 50% of the season. That is from from Jess in Xmouth. So I think there's a lack of understanding and empathy between East Coast and West Coast. Um, and when I say West Coast, I mean Western, Western Australia. Australia. Yeah. <clears throat> Basically, the advantage that our teams have is that home, gra- home games really are home games. It's pretty much all your fans. It's the ground that you know and that the opposition teams barely know. That's 10 times a year. Then there's the two derbies, which you get the home crowd for one, the away crowd for the other. What they have to remember, yes, Victorian teams play more games in Melbourne, but they also play a lot of neutral games. So basically you could play, you could be, um, let's say it's Carlton versus Collingwood 
at the MCG and there's 90,000 people there. If it's a Collingwood home game, there might be 55,000 Collingwood supporters there and 35,000 Carlton supporters there. It's pretty much a neutral game. Absolutely it is. So you lose that home ground advantage. I'm not sure if you do that much if you're Carlton or Collingwood. I don't think you do if you're Richmond at the MCG. Yeah, because their fans are frightening. Yeah, but I just don't think... I think if you're an MCG tenant, I think... I don't think you lose the home ground. I don't think it's diluted that much. But it's still not as intimidating for the other team to come there and play. They play there all the time. They've got a lot of their own fans there. You know, there's noise supporting them as well yeah, as supporting. Absolutely. So, whereas you come to Perth and you play West Coast in particular, you are in a coliseum and you are the Christians. The noise of affirmation. Yes. All of those things. All those things come into play when you come to Perth, West Coast in particular. But let's not forget Fremantle were the fourth highest supported crowd on home attendance measurement. So West Coast, uh, Fremantle, given another strong season, will be getting into that West Coast sort of territory where coming here to play the Dockers is going to be dead set frightening. G'day, gents. Interested in your thoughts on the spate of women being sanctioned for dangerous tackles. This appears to be more prevalent in the women's game than the men's, and, and I... I out it to you that this may partly be due to their experience with the skill. Sorry, I'm reading this um, as it's written. I've heard quarters say before that kids shouldn't tackle till a certain age. I'm of the opposite belief. The earlier you teach kids to tackle, the better they get at it by the time they're big enough to do any damage. I know you agree with them there, Duff. And being good at tackling no longer means being harder or pinning the ball or being tougher to break out of it. It actually means tackling without injuring and then all those things. Interested in your thoughts? Cheers, Dylan. It's a very good email. That's a great email uh, from Dylan, and I think what it is is because the clean ball handling in the AFLW is not quite done with the speed that it is in the AFL, it's harder for them to get out from the inside to the outside. Mm. So there's more washing machine football, as I like to call it, where the ball's bobbling around, someone picks it up, they get nailed. This is why Kiara Bowers' tackle count is so high. You know, Basically, opposition player gets it inside, she gets tackled by Kiara Bowers if you're playing Fremantle. Um, so I think there's more tackles laid. And if there's more tackles laid, a greater percentage of them are going to be... Well, sorry, not a greater percentage, but more of them are going to be deemed dangerous tackles just if you've, you've got the same percentage of um, dangerous tackles to safe tackles. And I fully agree, the younger you teach kids to do this, the better. Yeah, look, I agree with that at training. I think it'll be taken out of our hands, though. I think the, 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 um, the generation coming through of parents, I think it'll be taken out of their hand by the AFL and by the parents' demands that there be no tackling in a lot of junior footy. I just but think that's the way it's headed. Kids will still do it in the backyard. Yeah, they will. But you can't police that. But. And, and you know what? When you were a kid, and I remember being like this, until I was about 10 or 11, I didn't like smothering. And then um, I remember a group of waffle footballers came down to Narragin and there was a big clinic and we went over from Darken. And I can't remember who it was. might have been Wayne Reynolds, Tractor Reynolds, that used to play for Claremont. Um, he taught us how to smother properly. And after that... Smothering was easy. Yeah, I've, I've never had a problem. That's the one skill I never had. A, even with my small even hands. Even with your small hands. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, just turn the face away and, and, <laughs> and you dive on the footy. It was fine. If you want to learn how to tackle, by the way, just get involved in a good old-fashioned game of British Bulldog. Oh, God, yeah. Remember that? Yep. Two lines, opposite ends of the oval, and off you go, and you got to tackle. Oh, it was, I love playing that game. We played, so at South Bunbury, 
we were playing footy pretty seriously at South Bunbury, and we got this guy, Les Faber, in, who was a friend of Gerard McNeil. Gerard McNeil was the captain coach. And right at the end of a training session before a big game, it's a Friday night, big game on the Sunday. can't remember who we were playing, but I think we were playing another top four team. And he decided to play a game of, he called it war, but it was basically British Bulldogs. And you had a group of players lined up alongside one side of the square, the rest of the players in the middle, and basically the players in the middle had to bring the other mob down before they crossed the square. The mob on the side of the square crossed the first time. Two blokes knocked out. Game called off. (laughs) (laughs) Because what happened, they got done in the crossfire. They'd be leaning to tackle. It was the blokes in the middle that got knocked out. Yeah. Because they'd be leaning to tackle one. There'd be another guy trying to dodge another bloke, and he was hitting that guy who didn't see him coming at full full pace. It was frightening. Yeah, the, <laughs> those games were frightening, I can tell you, in the schoolyard. Uh, Hi, Duffin Quarters. Only started listening to the podcast this year, and I love it. First time emailing in. Just a question around the salary cap for Carlton after hearing the news of Harry Mackay. They have Cripps, 900k, Chera, 750, Mackay, 900, Kerno 900, with many other players on top dollars like Saad Williams and next year to Koning and Walsh. I know contracts are back-ended and front-ended, so not all the money is in the same is the same each year. When you add it up, they end up with around 150k each for the remaining players. Do you think that Carlton being top heavy as opposed to a Dockers currently, or probably a better example of Geelong and Collingwood, is why they have such a high expectation but fail to deliver? I'm just interested that they have so much expectation each year, but their bottom six aren't good enough because they don't have the cap. Interesting. It is interesting. You know what? I reckon Carlton is the club with the most to lose next year. If Carlton isn't playing finals next year, then the honeymoon's going to be over for Michael Voss. There's going to be serious questions raised about whether he's any better this time around as a coach. Um, Short honeymoon. They've been at it a year. Well, But they've been building that list beyond that, yeah. Two of the best power forwards in the competition. Yeah. One of the best power defenders in the competition. Decent midfield. Two of the best midfielders in the competition and three and four and five who are pretty good. Two of the best rebounding defenders in the competition. Sorry, if that team isn't playing finals... Yeah, I agree. They should be playing finals. It's, it's just, should have played finals this year. Yeah. Should be playing finals he this took, year. He took it on, didn't he? Yep. Knowing where they were at in their, in their rebuild. Absolutely. Or, so. Yeah. Uh, Hi, Duff and Quarters. I love the result and was happy for the waffle about the success of the day, but not happy about the venue. Back to Optus Stadium next year, please, where the access seating and catering befits the occasion. Thanks for another great year, Scott. So this is the flip side of the community mm. oval. And I'm, I'm gonna, I get it. I'm going to put this argument to you. There's a, um, a couple in, um, in my street, uh, Peter and Marnie Bowers. They're wonderful, wonderful people. They're rallies of Drew Banfields. They're mad Claremont supporters. They're older people. I won't say elderly, but they're older people. Couldn't get there. <clears throat> they got there. They had to park a long way from the ground. Um, they had to walk a long way to the ground. They got into the ground after queuing forever. They walked around the ground trying to find a good vantage point. They walked out at quarter time, went home and watched it on television. Because they couldn't just get a... Yeah, it was, it was very, very crammed and it was hard. And we, <laughs> we sat just behind the goals and everyone was walking all over us trying to get to a bar and what have you. So it was difficult, but I still enjoyed it, for, and I, but I'm a bit younger. Um, that's why you probably go public transport, though. I mean, it was st- it's still a reasonable hike, though, from the Leaderville Station to that oval, but you go through the precinct where all the, um, I think there were pop-up bars and food vans and stuff, so it was quite a pleasant walk. But if you are elderly or older, uh, it could have posed difficulties. It's a, it's a decent hike. Yeah, so all those factors, I think, um, dovetail into the reason. And the other thing is that 
I think if we're setting the bar for a waffle grand final at 20,000 people, we're setting it low. If we want 30,000 people, you're asking the government to spend probably $100 million in upgrading one of those suburban grounds for one event. Yeah, they'll be taking it back to Optus next year, I have yeah. no doubt. I just loved it. It was a really good feel. So um, it's, a, it's a pity they can't. And, and quarters, take the top deck out of Optus. Don't put anyone in there. Yeah. Put big advertising blankets in there so you get some value from those seats. Um, fill the rest of the stadium. 34,000 capacity, great seats, great amenity, great public transport. There's your Waffle Grand Final. Hi guys, on the back of Jason Horn Francis wanting to move, whose stepdad was a port player, and in today's society with merged families being a lot more common, could a step parent be included in the son daughter role and rule in the future? I do realise Fabian only played eighty odd games for Port. Uh, from memory, it has already been extended with the AFL to include father daughter combinations. On the, <laughs> that's a hard one to police that one, but um, the father daughter is interesting. Um, it is, and of course, Fabian Francis quite famously was going to come to Fremantle and recruiting him was not allowed because it was breaching the salary cap, mm. um, which Cameron Schwab joked to me one day. He said, uh, there's a lot of people having a go at me. They don't think I can add up. <laughs> <laughs> um, beautiful kick of the footy, Fabian Francis, by the way. One of the best kicks of the footy you'll ever see. Um, yeah, I don't think step-parents can be included in this. No, it's, it's a tough area. That what way. about the flip side? What if... Um, illegitimate children, shall we call them, in the old sense of the word, mm-hmm. um, that the uh, the parent, the male parent, has only just owned up to. Can they be included in father-son, father-daughter? I'm not going to go there, Duff. Uh, <laughs> I, I think there might be a few out there. Uh, hi, Duff and Quarters. Two Western Sydney Tides played in the NRL Grand Final. The AFL ambition of getting a foothold in the Sydney West is definitely worth fighting for. The Sydney Swans are a powerhouse in the competition. By contrast, GWS are minnows. What is needed to entrench the Giants in the hearts and minds of families in the greater western suburbs of New South Wales and the ACT? Really interesting that. Uh, I did write about this at the weekend. It was a bit of a dagger in the heart of the AFL who were trying to make inroads in Western Sydney. Worst possible result for them was that Penrith played Parramatta, the two powerful clubs from the west of Sydney, and sold out very early. I'm told it was massive energy around... um, and um, I think the AFL would be actually quietly, they would never say it publicly, but quietly conceived that it was a bit of a shocker of a grand final as well. But uh, it's a really interesting point. I think um, they have made some inroads, but there's a hell of a long way to go in that Western Sydney area. Have they made inroads, really? I think they have. They've, they've, there are more numbers there playing AFL. There are more goalposts going up. But at the same time, Duff, there are more rugby league posts going up and yeah. there are more kids playing rugby league. So I think the rugby league's still marching ahead. The game, I'm not sure if the end goal, you're never going to, um, overtake the NRL you don't in want Western to. Sydney. But I think you've got to march forward and try and establish something there. I think they're doing that, but it's really slow. The end goal is to fill Giant Stadium, which is 23,000 people. And and that is achievable. They can do that. And if they put 23,000 bums on seats at Giant Stadium, it won't matter. You know? It won't matter. You've got some more trade news? I've just got some breaking. We should have a ding, a little bell or something to do a late breaking news, so I'll just pretend we've <laughs> Let me got do one. it. Ding! Oh, there's a, some late breaking trade news. There's Duff on the triangle there. This is 
Good news for this free- is my new career, folks. <laughs> uh, Jordan McArdle from the West Australian reports out of contract. Gold Coast forward Josh Corbett has nominated Fremantle as his preferred destination. Uh, the West Australian understands Corbett will officially become a docker within the next week, with the club beating Essendon and Melbourne for his services. Uh, medium-sized forward as a potential replacement for swingman Griffin Logue. So good news for Freya. Yeah, that's a good one. I think they had their sights set on him. They will also have a crack at Jeremy Sharp, but Jeremy Sharp has a contract, and Gold Coast invested a fair bit in Jeremy Sharp, so therefore uh, they might be less likely to to let him go just yet. Uh, Jack Bowes, obviously. Pick seven, salary dump. Yeah, so three clubs, I think, in the running there. Geelong is one of them. Imagine if Geelong get Jack Bowes and pick seven. My goodness. The rich get richer. Yes, exactly. Um, a little less, Richard, though. There is a salary dump there, but um, which I wrote about again at the weekend. I hate salary dumps. I don't like them at all, but anyway, the AFL endorsed them. So, uh, But no, well done, Dockers. That's good. Yeah, and I think, as I say, if they can get uh, Jeremy Sharp to the line, they'll feel like, and of course, Luke Jackson, they'll feel like they've come out of a potential slight exodus from this trade period, actually okay, with a couple of draft picks to come. Hi, fellas. Great show. Keep the insights coming. Amongst all the chat about the 19th licence in Tassie, where they'll play, who's playing, etc., etc., can we now acknowledge how utterly useless a 19-team comp will be? Can only imagine the fixturing issues alone will make it a dumb idea, let alone the talent pool being further thinned out with more lopsided games to follow. Surely we go from 18 to 20. If so, otherwise, the sooner someone tells the ruse they are now the Tavoli Devils, the better thoughts, Dave, from Coogee. I think we go to 20. I think 19's really untidy. I I don't think they'd like it. Um, NT seems the suitable choice for me. Well, there's no pre there's no pre-finals by if you got 19 teams. Imagine if you were top four and you have the bye in rounds that were the last last home and away round before the finals, and you miss that game, then you miss the next week, then you win the week after that, then you miss the week after that. That's that's not going to be allowed to happen. So there, there will be consequences of there being a 19 team. Might either be 18 or 20. Clear as, that's clear. Uh, hi, gents. Should the Dockers rename their best and first medal the Matthew Pavlik medal? And that's uh, from Danny Docker in East Vic Park. We should say congratulations to Andrew Brayshaw too for picking up the Doig medal from Brennan Cox. Um, no surprises, um, him claiming that. But uh, Matthew Pavlich medal, why not? I like the link with old Fremantle. Oh, the Doig? I, there yeah. is no more famous football family in Fremantle. How's that for a bit of alliteration? Mm. There's no more famous football family in Fremantle alliteration, than yes. the Doigs. Um, I think I, I love that link with old Fremantle. I don't think uh, Matthew Pavlich is going to worry too much that it's not named after him. And I think keep, keep that tradition. Thank you for your emails. I would say keep them coming, but you might have to wait till next year to see what's happening. But uh, Duff, uh, I'll let you sign off, but it's been an absolute pleasure and we're going to miss you. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you to everyone who's been listening. Thank you to um, all the people that have helped me throughout my career. Um, I started in June 1982 quarters. First stories were written on a Orange Brother typewriter. Didn't get my first mobile phone until 1994. Have, um, journalism has taken me to some amazing places and enabled me to cover some amazing things and talk to some amazing people. And the best part about journalism is that you get to do all that and you still get to hang around with ordinary people and um, and and do normal things. And what you end up working out is that 
the ordinary normal people are usually better people than the superstars, which gives us a real balance to our lives. Um, I hope this is not the end. I hope there is another something to take me forward in um, in the media. But I have we'll, absolutely no doubt. But we'll wait and see on that. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure. It's been an absolute pleasure doing this with you. Uh, to Shannon, our producer, and also to Kate, who's done a lot of our shows, thank you guys so much. Um, it's been a new skill for you and I. It has. It's been one we've um, treasured, and um, maybe we'll get to do it again sometime. Let's hope so. We've been brought to you by TabTouch. Those with a touch, you can better your bet, download TabTouch today. Please gamble responsibly. Please call Gambler's Help on 1800 858 858 if you encounter any difficulties. I'm going to be like John Wayne and I'm going to ride off into the sunset. This has been the Duffin Quarters Podcast on the game. You know who? It's unbelievable!